Hi, and welcome back to Season 2 of the Sustainable Cannabis Coalition podcast, where we talk all things sustainability with some of the most distinguished experts in the cannabis industry. I'm your host, Devin Quarles. Today, I'll be talking to Sherry Danner and Shaq Arguello with Grow Generation. On this episode, we discuss topics that drive the sustainability of cannabis cultivation, from equipment selection, IPM strategies, water use, to social equity programs and other resources for producers. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to a new episode of the Sustainable Cannabis Coalition podcast. Today, we have Sherry Danner and Shaq Arguello from Grow Generation joining us. Sherry, Shaq, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Devin. Thanks for having us today. Thank you very much for having us, Devin. It's uh it's a pleasure. Really appreciate you guys uh, you both taking the time to uh to answer some questions and talk about some issues of sustainability. Um so before we get into the conversation, it'd be great to hear more about Grow Generation and, and some background on the company. Grow Generation was founded in 2008. Uh I've been a commercial account manager for the last three years and we have just seen tremendous growth in the legal cannabis industry. Uh, three years ago when I started, we had 20 retail stores across the nation. And now we have 60, um, which make it really convenient in all the medical and recreational legal states for uh, cannabis, hemp, and other indoor growers to find things more accessible than they were in the past. Um, I know Shaq has been here for quite a while from the start. What are your thoughts on how Grow Generation has done in the last few years, Shaq? You know, since we started until now, it's definitely been a very big improvement. I've seen a lot of growth in our industry that's very organic. Um, a lot of people definitely interested in our green movement um, that is definitely going forward. And I'd say in the past four to five years, we've definitely seen an increase in interest in this industry. Yeah, and I'd say the the growth uh, well, growth and grow generation has also been pretty significant in the last few years in particular. So uh, congratulations to you guys on that. Um, so kind of a follow-up, uh, and, and Sherry, we'll start with you. How did you make your way into the cannabis industry? I've been working in the industry for about 15 years now. Um, I was at a Fortune 100 company doing telecommunications, and um, I'm really just passionate about plants, and and I really just felt um, very fulfilled growing any kind of, of plant. I am from San Diego, so I've got a fair amount of experience with, with roses and cactus and you know one day i just des- decided to uh plant a seed i i was at venice beach and uh i got a little bit of uh of cannabis from a just a, a street vendor there and of course it, it had some seeds in there and you know some of us we don't want seeds in our flower but every so often you find a gem of a strain and uh i just without knowing anything threw it in some dirt under an ikea light and uh it was really a lot of fun. And a couple of years later, I really just started doing this full time. I, I taught myself, you know, as a lot of people do. And 15 years later, I get to work with the largest hydroponic chain in the world and help commercial growers and other medical growers do this for fun or for profit. And it's, uh, it's really fulfilling. We've come a long way. Well, it's awesome. I, I think a lot of people have a similar experience in terms of how they got started. I know uh, I've certainly sprouted some seeds in the past, and uh, yeah, it's it's a really interesting plant to watch grow. Um, Shaq, how about you? How'd you uh, get into the cannabis industry? You know, I started off not being able to grow a thing, including a cactus, and I had a gentleman that taught me about, I'd say, 15 years ago how to grow. He took me underneath his wing and then also introduced me to the industry here, the retail industry of the cannabis world. 
um, and actually got me involved in it. So it's been a, probably about 13 years I've been specifically in this industry of cannabis growing, um, and I've definitely enjoyed it. So it was kind of just a, a mentor kind of situation that I really enjoyed and grew from and super happy to still be here. I'm sure everyone's still, uh, everyone's also happy that you're with uh, the regeneration team as well. Um, now, regarding your thoughts on sustainability, sustainability in the cannabis industry, um, what improvements do you see happening? You know, I think this year and last year, the biggest um, positive change we've seen is, is the shift from halide lights to LED lights. It is just huge. You know, for the last 10 years, LED is been trying to make its way into the market and and just like new computer technology it's it's expensive it's somewhat unattainable it's a little scary um, this last year to two has been uh, really amazing for led uh, you know rough math is you're saving 40 percent power just on electricity which then converts into another 40 percent savings possibly with your dehumidification your ac and a lot of other ancillary things that go along with it um, so I think the biggest thing we have looking forward to is is the shift from from halide to LED, which is witnessed in California, changing the laws um, requiring everyone to update to LEDs. And we've got other states that are uh, really starting to follow that. And Shaq, any any insights? What do you what do you see from your end? You know, Sherry, I have to agree with you a lot. Definitely, in the past couple of years, I remember. You know, 10 years ago, walking into a Max Yield show and seeing the, the basic version of LEDs we had to what we have now is definitely a very big difference. Um, I actually have a couple of grows that are switched fully over to that in their greenhouses and the plants themselves are enjoying it. Their, the customers are enjoying it when they're saving on electricity, they're saving on lighting, they're saving on everything. So it's definitely a good big step for them. I think also the biggest thing for me that I'm seeing, especially here in Colorado, we have a lot of open land. Um, one of our locals here, AJ's Farms, who also grows for a couple of other places, including uh, Willie's Reserve, um, they're actually doing something that's uh, geothermal greenhouses along with no-till gardening. And I think there's a lot of people that are starting into looking into these sustainable things in order to make their profit better, but as well as leaving a good mark on the land that they're they're leaving behind to their kids or the generations behind them. So definitely our industry is making leaps and bounds year by year. Absolutely. So that's, that's a good segue into, into my next question. So in terms of individual growers, what, what can individual growers do to improve their, their footprint on the environment? And how have you seen those actions benefiting them, uh, at least the ones that have embraced those methods? You know, we work with all different types of growers. Shaq and I specialize on commercial facilities. So, you know, if you do one thing, it has an astronomical um, impact on that facility and that environment. But you have to think also how many of us small personal growers are out there. Um, and, and even that one thing you can do really does add up. So I think what comes to mind, of course, is uh, choosing the right hardware and growing style for you, no-till soil versus maybe hydroponics, or uh, maybe spending a little bit of cash up front for an LED, which you don't have to replace the bulbs on. Uh, that are filled with, you know, mercury and other things that are, are poisonous for the environment. Um, it's going to lower your your home electric rate. It's going to lower your home water bill because it's not as hot maybe in your tent or your garage um, or or a greenhouse that you might have. So, um, you know, making the right hardware choices, uh, reusing your water, 
you know, I was, I was raised in the eighties and nineties. It, it, I will always remember the reduce, reuse, recycle campaign. Um, so just recycling any water possible, um, really all makes a huge difference to those plastic nutrient bottles that we have, you know, we give those a rinse out, look at epa.gov. It'll always give you an idea of where your local recycling center are. Um, it's just very simple things that we can do just like, uh, you know, our household trash and compost uh, programs. I think at-home gardening goes goes really well along with those programs. You know, Sherry, the thing I think a lot of people overlook when they're trying to be sustainable is something as simple as irrigation, which helps you prevent water waste, allows you to water every single plant exactly when you want, how you want, not having a, a, a exact, you know, a huge amount of runoff. There's a lot of options like that that are small, that make small changes, don't cost a lot, but can change whole things of your water usage, just like you were talking about. We definitely want to work on on saving as much water as we can. And precise watering, I think, is one of the biggest things that will definitely help that, both for a commercial as well as a recreational grower. Absolutely. I'm a huge fan of closed loop systems in commercial facilities. And that comes down to a smaller grower, too, that might have a, a deep water culture setup or a, a current culture setup. Um, you know, where you can you can reverse osmosis that water on a weekly basis or even just repurpose it to to your yard and your outdoor flowers. Um, irrigation is a huge thing. Setting up, um, you know, drippers so that it's not overwatering and you have you have runoff, you know, just a, a few short irrigation periods throughout the day as opposed to one or two overwaterings that is going to create that runoff and that wasteful water, which in turn affects your environment by raising your humidity. And, you know, one thing that isn't planned correctly kind of goes downhill. So I, I think that's a great point. I like that. So a, a consistent theme, I think, in both of your responses there was that cannabis consumes a, a large amount of water. What are some things that you found beneficial for facilities to consider within their IPM or nutrient plans uh, specific to water use and consumption? You know, for water use and consumption, I often use a, a lot of well, reverse osmosis all day. We want to know what's going into our medicine or, or into our cannabis. Um, and water, generally, we think of as clean. But depending on where we are in the country or in the world, there's heavy metals, sulfur, arsenic. So just for safety purposes, I like to start with reverse osmosis. Take what we don't know what is in that water out. And then it's completely in our hands to put what we want in that plant into it. The nitrogen, potassium, phosphorus, all the additives that, that we put in there that they need. Um, you know, in a healthy plant that's fed healthy water throughout its life cycle is going to be much more robust and much less apt to have um, pest or mildew issues. Um, I think Jack and I see a lot of people uh, treating towards the end of a cycle things that definitely could have been addressed before it got to, to a bad point. And anything we can do to save pesticides or unnatural pesticides going into the environment is helpful. Preventative, that's the way to go, Sherry. And I think that's what a lot of us forget. You know, We can spray at the very end when we actually have a problem, but what about what can we do to prevent those problems? You know, There's things that don't use water, such as you know, beneficial bugs, such as parasitic wasps, you know, uh, nematodes, predator mites, there's other options that don't require water, don't require using water or foggers or anything to actually put a pesticide onto the earth or onto your plants. So there are definitely options that can help with IPMs that don't involve water but are still very uh, sustainable 
definitely usable. And I have not had any problems with caterpillars since I started using parasitic wasps. So I definitely do believe in, in, in those types of measures to prevent them. Now, the, the parasitic wasps, are, are you deploying those on outdoor or those for indoor uh, indoor that's definitely That's definitely going to be more of an outdoor since they do like to travel, but they will only travel, you know, within a certain area. They are some of my favorites because they lay their they lay eggs of the other of your actual caterpillars and such. They eat their babies and then they go on their way. So it's definitely a, a nice good product. It's a little vicious, but it's definitely a good product to use. Yeah, brutal, brutal but effective, right? Um, so in, in terms of things like that, what what other things have you found to be successful for individual growers or commercial facilities that are also cost effective and accessible? You know, one of my favorite things that we have, I'm really proud of our, our house brand, PowerSci. Uh, Rex is the founder of PowerSci and is just a fantastic human being. Um, PowerSci started out a, a, a silica acid, um, but it did so well and plants are just growing so robustly that we started taking time with Rex to, to formulate a healthy organic-based IPM. So we came out with can control. Um, it doesn't need a surfactant. There's nothing you need to add to it. It costs as little as $1.50 per gallon. Um, you can use it for medical gardens. You could use it for commercial gardens, um, ingestible crops. It's, it's one of the most affordable organic derived um, IPMs that I've found that I really enjoy going to that aren't uh, brutal wasps. Uh, I do love myself some ladybugs and some nematodes i just can't uh, get around the creepy crawlies of the parasitic wasps but they definitely <laughs> serve their purpose in nature <laughs> i don't so, mind the creepy crawlies, sherry i've never have well as, as we've talked about before i learned the hard way with ladybugs you know and i i really was a huge proponent of ladybugs and i i did not think about letting them go in my indoor garden and that as sealed as the room was they might want out. And uh, I learned how to live with ladybugs in my home for a little while. And, uh, you know, they're, they're great. I just decided that they're, they're better for outdoor gardens. So I'm going to trust you on the parasitic wasps. I'll have to agree then. Greenhouses and outdoor I genuinely are where I use most of my bugs. I, indoor, not so much. <laughs> there are some other things you use in your IPM lineup, though. Um, I think we we're mentioning Marone and Biosafe earlier. Yes, definitely. I think uh, uh, Grandivo, Venere, and Regalia are some of my favorite go-tos, just mainly because those three carry cover a variety of pests and mold and mildew. Um, the use of all three, um, especially the Regalia for you know fungicides and such like that, as a fungicide is actually my favorite, mainly because it actually helps your plant in the end, helps the health of your plant, and is just all around great for the immune system of it. Um, your Venere and your Grandivo, you can pretty much use a little bit of everywhere. Um, just really great products that are sustainable. I haven't had heavy problems with them. And, you know, I use them a lot of my indoor and I really don't see any problems when I use those three together. And I love no. that you mentioned using three in a rotation. Um, I think we've seen over the years, if you find something that works and you overuse it, these pests have been around for millions of years. They build up a, a tolerance to it. You know, years ago, we used to see everyone using Floramide, Avid, uh, Merit 75, things that are not sustainable, not good for you, not good for the environment. But commercial growers found that they worked and now they won't kill a bug uh, for anything. So I think rotation 
of your IPM products is huge. Just like we built up resistance to amoxicillin years ago. You don't see it as much today. And you see doctors trading out different antibiotics. So we don't build superbugs. It's really the same as in a cannabis garden. If you use the same IPM repeatedly, these bugs are smart. It's their job to evolve and they breed so quickly. You know, every three or four days, you can have a new generation of pests. So staying on top of revolving the biologic pests and the organically derived sprays is going to keep you ahead of the curve. Because after six months, nine months, they might have built up a tolerance to the one product you found worked. And now, Shaq, the the, the uh, products that you're mentioning, the three in particular there, those are also um, compatible with beneficial insects as well. Is that correct? I think all three of those? You know, for the most part, any type of pesticide that you're going to be spraying, um, they do recommend, like if I'm going to do a, a bug, I will go through and I will actually do a spray about 20, 48 to 72 hours ahead of time. And then I'll go through and I'll release my bugs inside of theirs to not cause any harm to them, but also to give them a little bit of a hand, especially if a, a heavy problem with, you know, mites or whatever it may be. Um, you want to kind of take down that problem a little bit before you throw your beneficials in there so that you can give them a head start and give them some help off of that. Okay. So I guess the, the question here then is, you know, some of these strategies become um, more, more proactive or preventative in, in nature. Um, is that, you know, how, how well built out do you have a program using these products that, uh, you know, in, in terms of preventative versus, uh, reactionary, what's, what's that look like? For me with my IPM, um, I have about eight products that I recommend to every one of my customers as a pest management. Do they go through all of those in large amounts? No, you're using quart size bottles or less. Um, so while you're using them, uh, if you maintain the proper use of them, you know, you use a beneficial one time, uh, like a beneficial spray with a bacteria or fungus inside of it, um, then going through and doing something that actually attacks the bug itself, and then also going through and doing something that involves your uh, media, like a wettable powder, using all three actions, you're touching the bug a different way. So no matter what bug it may be, um, if it needs to eat it, you have something that it's going to eat. If it needs to be, uh, you know, be on top of the bug and actually attach itself to it, you know, you, you have that option as well. And if it's in the soil where the eggs are being laid, you're also covering that. So if you cover all three of those areas, 95% of the time, I have not seen bug problems unless brought from an outside source. Okay, so yeah, I agree. It's it's always important to to rotate your mode of action where, you know, you're never giving them any any pest or disease kind of a a place to go and hide and 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 wait until conditions get better. So, um, fully fully agree there. And it's good to hear that you you do have a a pretty pretty good list from the sounds of things. You know, now, I'd like to interject as well. You know, as Shaq and I, we we love talking about IPM because being growers for so long, that really is my number one challenge. And as much as uh, as much experience and time in the field as we have, you don't want to really get cocky and and think, hey, I have the one the one thing that's going to fix everyone's problem. Everyone's grow is unique, whether it's a four by four tent or 150,000 square foot facility. So I think um, Rojan customers really have it 
have fantastic resources ahead of them. When I started growing 15 years ago, you couldn't walk into a store and tell them you were growing cannabis and you had webs on the top of your plant, what to do. It just wasn't something that was done. We've got 60 grow generation stores nationwide. You can walk into any store and present your problem. Here's what my plant is. Here's how old it is. This is what I'm seeing. What do you suggest? You know, we have just years and years of experience combined. Um, so anyone at the store can always always help direct you towards the right product. There's there's no one product that's perfect for every situation. And I know Shaq and I are working with commercial facilities, you know, we'll we'll fly across the US to spend the day with our client because we care about their gardens as much, if not more, than our own gardens. We spend more time with our clients' plants than ours. So if we need to do a conference call, with Marone, with BioSafe, you know, with PowerSci and pinpoint the issue. That's one of the really one of the values that we offer to our customers is just just our knowledge. You know, we're not just a retail store. You walk in and and you buy what you think you need. We really do like holding your hand through the whole process and seeing you be happy and come back a crop later and and adding something different to your regimen. And then you can go and teach the next person the trials that you've been through. IPM is is really overwhelming, but when you have some people that are experienced at your side, you know, we we know the right people in the industry. We have the right amount of of experience because we've lost crops to powdery mildew. I've lost crops to spider mites. I don't want you to have to go through that at all. That's why I'm so passionate about IPM. Agreed 100% on that one, Sherry. How many crops have we lost to learn? You know, it's embarrassing. I've taken a shop back to to some cannabis plants that just were covered in spider mites years and years ago. They can get so bad. Those spider mites, they, they breed every two or three days. So if you leave for a week and you come back and you've got some nasty webs, you're not the only one. There's there's not one one product that's going to solve everything. But I think we know the right cocktail and how to have you um integrate it into your program and keep your plants happy, keep the environment happy. Um, Cause just cannabis growing is just, it's huge. It is expanding so quickly that anything we can do to save aerosols or things that leach into the water. Um, I'm happy to help people not reinvent the wheel there. No, it's, it's great. Uh, it's great to hear that grow generation supports producers and, and their, their operations that way. Um, but when you have an issue like, like spider mites, like you're talking about also, um, that seems like it's a failure in a, a scouting program, right? Where these, these issues develop and people just aren't aware. And then it, it really blows up. Like when you're aware that you have spider mites and there's webbing on plants, that's, that's pretty far gone. Do you guys, uh, also provide guidance for, uh, for how people should be scouting and kind of keeping track of their crops? We do. Absolutely. We just partnered with um, Total Grow Control, which I have to say I am still learning. It's a fantastic um, company that provides software and sensors. And uh, you can go in and enter what your crop is per room, um, the life cycle of it. You can enter the nutrient program you want it on, the IPM program you want it on. And it'll pop up reminders and tell you, hey, Today's the day to do this, you know, whether it's clean your room or sanitize with zero tall or oxidate, or today is your can control spray, or today is, um, you know, uh, got to do a little sulfur spray, but not too far, you know, into the life cycle. So I'm really happy that we partnered with Total World Control because it really does take a lot of the guesswork out of 
when's the last time I sprayed? When do I need to do it? When do I need to sanitize my my trays and my media or clean my light bulbs? It it really puts life on autopilot for you. And that might be for some larger growers. Is a smaller grower, I don't know about you. I live by my phone. I I calendar just about every 15 minutes of my life. So I I have a green is my calendar color for for my garden. You know, it's a little a little obvious that it's green, but it'll tell me on a daily basis what I need to do. Um, but with our clients, you know, Shaq and I, we we know our customers. We spend time with them. We get to know their families. I like to get to know your dog. But more importantly, I know your plants and your schedule. And, you know, there's times that I'll wake up on a Tuesday and say, hey, I need to reach out to, to Shane. I need to reach out to Todd because I know that they need this and they're going to forget it. And And I would rather be the one to preemptively remind them something is needed for their crop and hear about it a week later when it's when it's too late. Um, I think if you get paired with a commercial account manager at Grow Generation, you're going to find we really do offer white glove service and it it comes from a good, honest place. We really do want you to succeed. Agreed. Uh, scheduling is absolutely key on so many things and in any kind of commercial agricultural production. Now, one one other thing we've talked a lot about the way that Grow Generation supports growers and, and producers. Are there any other resources that you'd recommend to growers that are interested in doing more to improve or reduce their footprint and their impact uh, in terms of materials or or uh, disposal of, of waste materials? Any, any resources? Absolutely. There's there's two simple ones that, that I live by. I work closely with the Department of Ag, Agriculture in multiple states, and I always go to pesticidestewardship.org. Um, if you go to pesticidestewardship.org, you're going to see a lot of resources, but it'll let you choose by state whether you're getting rid of maybe an empty pesticide container or nutrient container, and if you should rinse it and recycle it, if there's a certain uh, disposal company that will pick it up free. Um, we talk about mercury bulbs, old halide bulbs. You really can't just throw those in a recycle bin. I would always recommend you go to epa.gov forward slash CFL. Again, that's going to give you a lot of local recycling opportunities. Some places will even send you a prepaid package so you can mail these back and they'll recycle them appropriately for you. You know, for me, Shay, the two things I'd like to recommend is going to be uh, Hydrologic, looking up their website, um, mainly just for reverse osmosis, just hydrologicsystems.com. That's going to give you the benefits of looking up uh, water reclamation systems and RO systems on ensuring that you have clean water. And then the other thing for me is going to be the Department of Ag in whatever state you are. Um, they have a, a page that actually provides the pesticides that are usable on cannabis very specifically, um, especially since that product is not only eaten, it's combusted, and it's also you know placed inside of people all three rounds. So definitely um, the agricultural department in your local state will have a website uh, page that is specifically for um, pesticides and cannabis. And I think that's one of the, the best things to use if you're going to be using any of them so you know what's inside of them, how to use them, and when you can use them. Okay, that's great. I think those are those are good, uh, certainly good places for, for growers to look if they're they're interested in in contributing and doing their part. Um, kind of thinking again, you know, sustainability isn't just impact on the environment. There's a lot of other avenues of sustainability, and some of those that I think are typically overlooked are are what we would call social equity issues. 
And, and kind of a, a larger scope of, of sustainability in general, are there any other nonprofits or goodwill activists that you support or, or recommend growers research? Absolutely. Um, being in the cannabis industry, I, of course, started 15 years ago when this was an illicit substance. Um, the first time I walked into a grow store, I parked around the corner, put on a bald cap, some sunglasses, and I walked in, you know, with cash, knowing full well that this was something I could get in trouble for. 15 years later, I get to work for Grow Generation. We are publicly traded on NASDAQ. I have a 401k. I have insurance. I get to pay taxes. We've estimated that there's over 40,000 people in prison in the United States for cannabis-related crimes. So GrowGen has partnered with the Last Prisoner Project, and it really hits close to home because uh, working, uh, you know, in the shadows for close to 15 years, it really wears on you and your family. And uh, there's people that today are, are sitting in a prison cell when I get to fly around the world and, and do everything above board, helping other people grow their businesses and grow their families. So I would really urge anybody to look up on Facebook, Instagram, their website is lastprisonerproject.org and uh, just see what you can do to support people that weren't as lucky as we were uh, getting to where we are today. Okay, great. And I agree. That's a, I think that's a good one. It's important that we recognize in, in the industry, in the cannabis industry especially, that there are people who are, who are paying the consequence for, for keeping this thing going um, during you know, more stringent periods of prohibition. So um, it's, a, it's certainly a good one. So the, the final question for today, if you were starting as a new grower, limited experience, limited space, uh, really kind of clean slate, which we don't really see too often, what, what would be your, your optimal growth setup? How would you set something up if you're starting from scratch? That is such a fun question. Um, because I get to do this every day for my customers and for my friends, and I get to live vicariously through them um, and use the the knowledge that I've I've acquired over time. There's there's no 100% right way to grow cannabis. There's a lot of funky things you can do that aren't efficient, but I think everyone should have fun with it and learn at their own pace. But if someone walked in and said, you know, hey, I've got a got a six by six or an eight by eight tent, or I've got a garage and, and a moderate, but not ridiculous amount of funds to put into it. Um, you've got a grow generation store in your city, or you give us a call or go to our website and we'll get it delivered to you. Um, we just came out recently with some ion 720, um, led lights that are full spectrum, low power, low heat, no maintenance. Um, I find that cocoa is a, really reasonable medium to grow in. It's not heavy soil that might have bugs in it. Um, we recently acquired Charcoal. Michael Leone is a fantastic uh, founder of Charcoal. So we've got some really clean cocoa uh, in our stores. Um, PowerSci is great silica additive that we could throw in there. As I mentioned before, can control for IPM. Uh, we have a whole line of house fans and environmental controllers that really take your budget into mind. You know, if, if you're brand new to computers, you don't want to go out and buy a $5,000 Alienware laptop. It might be fun. So seeing new people to this hobby or this industry walk into a grocery store, I am really price conscious and knowledge conscious of how much time and funds and hands-on uh, do they want to put into this? Do you want everything automated? Do you want to go water it every day and 
you know, spend time with your girls and play music for them. But I think for, for any grower of any knowledge level or, or budget level, if you go into a grow generation store, we're going to have really everything you need from start to finish, whether it's a soil and a pot all the way to uh, automated trimming solutions. Um, we, we've really got everything for every, every grower in mind. Devin, for me, I know Sherry, Sherry loves her products and loves her indoor, but I'm definitely here in Colorado. I was taught outdoors where I started. So when I had people would come in when I first started here as bubble hydroponics and now grow generation, I'd always encourage people to start outdoors with two plants. Start outdoor, do your season outside, and then see how you can go ahead and increase. Would you like to go inside? Would you like to only grow, you know, outside all year? You know, is that going to be your preferred status? Do we not want it inside? And I think that honestly, that gives you a good picture with just two plants starting outside and uh, and a, a good soil, even a super soil, um, like a subcool super soil, even. Uh, just to give you a good start, you're not going to have to use a lot of feeding. It kind of has it all set up for you. You get to learn your plants. You get an idea of, you know, indica versus sativa if you do two different strains. It's not overly stressful to where you have to be out there eight hours a day, but it gives you an idea of how much time is needed for just two plants so that you're prepared to expand as your time allows you and as well as your budget. You know, I actually, I agree with that a lot where, um, having started with cannabis almost exclusively indoors and in um, controlled environment kind of, uh, spaces, I, I didn't feel like I'd really seen a cannabis plant until I'd grown several different varieties outdoors. It, it just, it really shows more of what the plant really is in its, in its natural environment. So um, I think that's a, that's an interesting take. So, um, okay. So again, today uh, spoke with grow generation, uh, Really interesting, I think, in terms of the kind of support uh, that Grow Generation gives uh, customers, gives growers and producers, uh, and that's support from you know technical issues, scheduling, IPM programs, all the way to any consumable that someone might need. So, um, I think a really comprehensive service in terms of uh, what Grow Generation offers in terms of technical support as well as um, materials and, and items to purchase. So. Really good to see also the, the focus on sustainability, how you guys are, you know, really looking at ways that people can reduce their impact, which, again, tends to actually be driven more by bottom line than just people caring about the environment. So you're you're not just saving people money. You're also helping them do it in a way that reduces the impact and, and shrinks their, their footprint. So I think that's it's always it's always good to see people in the space that are that are doing that. Um, so, again, today we talked to Sherry Danner and Shaq Arguello. I uh, want to thank both of you for your time and, and taking part in the podcast. Um, just in, as a kind of follow-up final question, uh, is there anything that we didn't discuss that we want to make sure that we get in the podcast today? Oh, I think we covered a lot of good things, honestly. I think for me, there's going to be two things for people that I'd like to recommend since we were talking about sustainability. And for me, no-till soiling. One of the most important books is uh, Teaming with Microbes for anybody that's going to get into any type of organic gardening so that you can understand your microbe life, your rhizosphere, and actually get an understanding of how your plant truly works um, naturally. Mm -hmm. I would second that. That's a fantastic read. Okay, great. Um, really, again, appreciate both of your time today. Uh, it's exciting to hear about uh, everything that's going on with Grow Generation. A lot of 
a lot of new equipment it looks like it's coming to market with uh, the ion leds that you guys are producing along with uh you know the it's speaking from someone with an ipm background too everything that you're talking about in terms of how you rotate products and utilizing beneficials and and uh um, really more biological uh, approaches, I think, is, is really solid advice to any producer out there. So I uh, just want to thank you both again for your time uh, and welcome anyone to look into Grow Generation. And your website is? GrowGeneration.com. Okay, that's that's a fairly uh, pretty pretty straightforward one. So again, thank you both for your time. And uh, thanks, uh, thanks so much for helping out with uh, Sustainable Canvas Coalition podcast. Thank you, Devin. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Devin. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having us. Likewise, for me as well. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Sustainable Cannabis Coalition podcast. If you like what you heard, tune into our next episode and make sure to check out our content on our website at sustainablecannabiscoalition.com. And make sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Yep, we're pretty much everywhere. Till next time.